Okay, if you'd open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be picking it up at uh, verse 6 uh, today. Uh, just got one, one more announcement. I think we got a few guys here that go to the Wednesday night study. The Wednesday night study will be canceled this Wednesday. I've got a uh, uh, parent teachers meeting for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So, so the Wednesday night will be canceled for the men's study. If you know how to get a hold of the guys that aren't here right now, like Josh and Ben, you know, try to get a hold of them and get the word out so that hopefully nobody comes out and they're busy night and finds the doors are locked. So, okay. So second Thessalonians chapter two. Yeah. One more. Sure. Uh, Vince would like to tell everybody thank you for everybody that was involved coming over and building the stairs for him so he, he could stay in his place. Good and deal. Good deal. Ask me to tell everybody all those involved. Thank you very well, much. You're very welcome, uh, Vince. And thank you so much for the guys who went out there and, and, uh, worked so hard. So, and, uh, also, thanks for the uh, the uh, prayer ministry there. That's a big outreach in the community, and just letting them know we love them and we're willing to pray with them. The door to door ministry, and um, that's that's what makes a church a, a strong church. You know, the it's the pastor's job to equip the saints for service. But when the saints are serving, um, that's when. Uh, that's when the church is doing well. And this service might just be discipling people in your house and your friends and stuff like that. But whatever it is, we, God gives us all a ministry. We've all got people in our mission field and uh, we need to pray for them and try to reach out uh, to them. So I'm really, really happy with the, the new prayer ministry there. And hopefully I'll be able to uh, be free one of these Saturdays and join, join you out there. So, okay. Um, so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again that he anoints the, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we live in a culture, a culture of lies, a culture of fake news. And, but those who are here today, they, they didn't want to hear lies. They came here to hear your truth. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man. You call fallible men to preach your infallible, inerrant word. So I pray, Lord, that you would just cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and not misinterpret uh, this passage. I also know, Lord, this is a controversial passage, and the church is divided on that, the American church. And... and um, and so I just pray, Lord, that uh, if people disagree with me on this, that they could still pick up and, uh, some of the truth that we share and that, um, and that they would be blessed. And so I pray, Lord, that as we sense your presence in singing praises and in our prayers and in our fellowship, we would also get a sense of your presence in the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, you receive all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just to get the context, again, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll pick it up in 6 and 7. And Paul says this, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and are gathering together to him. So when Jesus returns, the coming of the Lord, okay, we're going to be gathered to him. He says, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come, had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the return of Christ, will not come unless, so certain things have to occur before he returns. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The apostasy of the church has to come first. The true church has to be replaced by a false church. So Christianity is there's going to be a big false Christianity, and the true Christianity is going to be forced underground. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Paul was only there three weeks, but in three weeks it was important enough to let them know about the end times. They thought the day of Christ, the day of the Lord had come. It was all about to come. Some guys were even quitting their jobs and stuff like that. And, and Paul said, look, don't you guys remember? I told you Jesus is not going to come back to gather us until after the falling away of the church and the Antichrist who proclaims to be God is revealed. Okay? So he's telling them, no, it, you know, the sufferings you're going through now are horrible sufferings. He's telling the Thessalonian believers they're being persecuted, but he's telling them Christ will not return to gather the saints until after the falling away of the church and after the Antichrist is uh, revealed, okay? And, um, and so then he picks it up in verses 6 and 7, and uh, verses 6 and 7, and you know what is restraining that he may re be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay? Now, whatever that means in that passage, it's not going to contradict what Paul has said in first and second Thessalonians chapter one and earlier in second in second Thessalonians chapter two. He's not going to contradict it. He even tells, he says, look, the Lord is going to come and give you relief. When? When he brings eternal punishment on the unsaved. That's in first Thessalonians chapter one. He's not going to return until after the falling away of the church. And the Antichrist is revealed. So he's not going to contradict that here in verses 6 and 7 when he says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the question comes up, who or what is restraining the Antichrist from being revealed? Now, in the Greek, you have the masculine pronoun, he, but you also have the um, neuter noun, it, until it, out of the midst, it comes. 
So it's talking both about the restrainer and uh, the restraining power of the restrainer being removed. Now, there's been different views on this throughout history. Uh, the early church held this, this view that it was maybe it was the Roman Empire, that they knew from studying scriptures from Daniel, the book of Daniel, and then the book of Revelation, that eventually the Roman Empire is going to reach a stage of 10 horns, where you have, it's going to be broken down into 10 regions and go throughout the whole world, 10 kings of 10 kingdoms, who then give their power, their authority to the Antichrist. Okay? And uh, so the early church, the most common view was that it was the Roman Empire. They thought once the Roman Empire folds, the Roman Empire somehow, some way, by keeping order as godless as it was, as pagan as it was, maybe when the Roman Empire falls and then it's broken up into, into 10 regions, then the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, now, some scholars still, you know, still point in that direction because Paul doesn't mention in this letter what the restrainer is. And so some think, you know, hey, you have to speak in code when you write against Rome. That's why most of the time Rome is mentioned in like Peter's letters or in uh, the book of Revelation. It's called Babylon. Okay. Babylon was uninhabited during that time. But you didn't want somebody taking a letter that you wrote, a Roman authority, looking at it and see, oh, look, you know, so they basically they had cancel culture back then. But they didn't take you off of Facebook. They took you off of planet Earth, okay? And uh, you didn't mess with the Roman Empire. So some think that's why he didn't mention it. But in reality, he told them uh, that they already know uh, because he already told them about these things, verse 5. So he's not necessarily, it's a possibility, but I don't think that that's the case. He's not necessarily not mentioning who the restrainer is. Uh, they already know. He's just saying, look, just go back to remember our talks. I told you who the restrainer is, and then just moves on from there. So it's not necessarily... Uh, connected with Rome. Now, by the way, the Roman Empire, according to Nebuchadnezzar's statue in, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, the Roman Empire was like the, the hips and all coming down, but then it's, it breaks into two long legs, and then it comes out to two feet and ten toes. And we're kind of, you could still make a case that you had the Eastern Europe and Western Europe, you had... Um, the Eastern, when you had the Holy Roman Empire and then the Eastern Church broke off from the Western Church. So you could make a case that that the Roman Empire, though it doesn't have the clout it used to have, although it's getting it back with uh, with Europe being united in the European Union, but that eventually it'll be 10 toes representing 10 kings of 10 kingdoms. And eventually they'll give their authority to the Antichrist um, but so is it that? I, I don't know. So, some would argue that it's, it's just law and order in general. Many of the early church fathers switched to that. They said, you know what? Uh, since the Roman Empire, you know, so, so you go out after hundreds of years and the Roman Empire is kind of going down the tubes. They're thinking, well, maybe just law and order in general. And there's, a, there's, there's an argument that can be made for that. God instituted human government to protect man's God-given rights 
But um, in the end, uh, human government is going to be satanic, demonic government. It's going to be taken over by Satan. And, um, and so the more, more and more evil and uh, technological that government gets, that could be something. Other people in the early church believed it was Michael the archangel or maybe another angel and uh, restraining the Antichrist from being revealed. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 7. This I found this as I studied you know, years and years of Bible prophecy. This is a very neglected verse. Very few people talk about the most most people talk about the Antichrist as being possessed primarily by Satan. And I'm going to show you that that's not the case. Satan will possess him at times. You like to call him Satan incarnate, and maybe he is in some way, shape, or form. But um, but Satan's never been chained up in the abyss. Only certain angels that have gone too far. I don't want to get into the theories on that, but Jude talks about him. Peter talks about him. Certain angels have been, had went, certain fallen angels went so far that God chained them up. Uh, Peter calls it Tartarus, angels before the flood who sinned. Uh, it's the only time the, the New Testament mentions the word Tartarus, which is the, one of the Greek words from Greek mythology. And, uh, but the abyss, the bottomless pit, some fallen angels are chained up and they can't mess with us anymore. Other fallen angels like Satan, not only can they mess with us on earth, but they still have access to heaven. They haven't been kicked out of heaven yet. And uh, so, but look at Revelation 11, verse 7, talking about the two witnesses that are going to show up and preach for three and a half years before the return of Christ. It says, when they, the two witnesses, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So we learn a little, little factor here about the Antichrist, the beast, that the spirit, the demon that is going to possess this guy, okay, this world ruler, actually comes out of the bottomless pit, okay? And then that's why if you look forward to uh, what was it, Revelation, I think in Revelation 16, where they talk about three frogs coming out of the, yeah, Revelation 16 and verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits, not two, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The, there it's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And, um, but you have three unclean spirits, spirits of demons coming out of the dragon, that's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So I, I think that the primary demon that's going to be possessing the Antichrist is going to be a demon that was so bad, he got locked up in the abyss. Now, we know that some of these demons get released 
from the abyss. I mean, you do a study on the abyss, they're the only ones that get thrown there are fallen angels who have, have really messed up. And uh, But if you look at uh, Revelation chapter 9, 1 to 3, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose uh, out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So you have locusts. I think that's metaphorically speaking. They're not, they don't seem to be literal locusts. And who's in the abyss? Demons. Yet, for a demon to come out of, of the abyss, it has to be, it says, a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Often the angels are symbolized by the word star throughout the scriptures. It goes all the way back to even in uh, Job, in uh, the, the book Job. And so an angel fallen from heaven was given the key to the bottomless pit. So it could be something like that. Either Michael the archangel or another angel that has to release the beast, stop restraining the beast from coming from the abyss, and then he's going to indwell a human being and rule the earth. Now, a lot of speculation here, but I take literally that the Antichrist will receive a mortal head wound. The, the Antichrist will be assassinated, but then will come back to life, okay? And then demand that he be worshipped and go into the temple. And so it may be that an offer is made to this uh, human being who's just been assassinated where Satan says, look, I'm going to take one of my buddies from the abyss and he's going to indwell you and I'll give you, if, if you will worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Very similar to the offer Satan was making to Jesus. The King Jesus was like, no, I serve my father. Okay? Even when Jesus was hungry, he's not going to turn a stone into bread to feed himself. If that's not in the Father's plan, Jesus is not doing it. And so it could be an angel that uh, is restraining the spirit, the demon who will possess the Antichrist. I mean, it's, even, it's, it's such a sharp distinction that we're told about the, the five kings are fallen, one is, one is yet to come, and then there will be eight, an eighth, and he'll be one of the seven. That doesn't make much sense unless... If the seventh is the the seventh king is the antichrist, and he's a regular guy, and then after the assassination attempt, he becomes the eighth. He's now demon possessed, yet he's still one of the seven. Same guy, but there's been a big, big change. Now he's indwelt by this demon from the abyss. Uh, look at and so all I'm, the only reason why I'm bringing up the locust is that here you have an angel who has to release the demons from the abyss in the last days, uh, if the Antichrist comes from the abyss, uh, who's restraining him from coming there? Then look at uh, Michael the Archangel in Revelation chapter 12. Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into this passage, but the first time, and again, the angels are called, a, that has followed Satan, 
uh, verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, that's the angels, a third of the angels, and threw them to the earth, and the dragon, that's Satan, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And um, basically, at the birth of Christ, Satan and one-third of the angels voluntarily left heaven and tried to have Jesus killed. They got Herod involved and everything, and they failed. Jesus completed his mission. She bore a male child, verse 5, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. That's the ascension. After Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, appeared to many over a period of 40 days, and then ascended to heaven. So Jesus conquered. Jesus won. That's why King David could say in Psalm 110, verse 1, a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until when? Until the time comes for your enemies to be made your footstool. So Jesus is going to sit on a throne until it's time to come down and judge. Uh, but that's the first time Satan and his demons left voluntarily. The second time, though, you come to verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, which Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Who's the great dragon? That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast down to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him. He says Satan accuses day and night, he accuses the brethren before God's throne room. So this idea that Satan's been kicked out of heaven already is just not true. He can roam the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, like Peter says, but he also has access into heaven like he did in Job and in the book of Zechariah. And uh, so he had been cast down. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the word of their tes testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. <clears throat> We've got to be willing to not love our lives, even to the point of death, for King Jesus. You know, you put a gun to my head, and you say, uh, deny the Oakland Raiders, or the Las Vegas Raiders, wherever they're at now. It'll change eventually. Deny, uh, yeah, that's, hey, fine. Say you're a Patriot fan. Fine, I'll go with it, okay? You put a gun up to my head, you deny Jesus, I pray that God gives me the courage to never, ever, ever deny the one who paid the price for my sins on the cross of Calvary, okay? And, uh, and so these saints did not love their lives to death, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And then when you read further, you find that that short time is the time, times, and half a time. It's the three and a half years, the 42-month reign of the Antichrist. So some say, well, maybe it's some angel. It's got the abyss 
the key to the abyss. Others would say maybe it's Michael the archangel and he's restraining Satan from doing his thing, from using the Antichrist uh, to rule the world in the last days and deceive many people with the mark of the beast and, and things of that sort. But maybe it's a Michael the archangel has to stop restraining him by kicking him out of heaven. That was one of the theories, okay? So there is some sort of scriptural justification for speculation on that. We don't know for sure. I hold the position that there were some in the early church, they were in the minority, but the position grew and um, many adherents uh, were added to the view that it's the Holy Spirit, okay? So I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who is restraining the Antichrist. I'm not dogmatic on that. But the idea that this necessitates a pre-trib rapture, that the only way the Holy Spirit could stop restraining the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist from being revealed, the only way he could restrain him is uh, through the church? I hope and pray the church, I mean, I hope and pray the church in the world, I'm sure, is restraining a decent amount of evil. But the church in America, we're part of the problem. And, uh, and I don't think the Holy Spirit needs us. It doesn't necessitate a pre-trib rapture. Uh, if it's a pre-trib rapture, that contradicts what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. God will give you the church rest from her suffering. When? When he comes to judge the world, not with the tribulation period, but with his eternal punishment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that uh, Christ will not come, the day of the Lord will not come, where Jesus returns, the coming of the Lord, no two phases, and he gathers his people, just like Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days. The, the signs in the sky and the sun will return to gather the elect from the four winds. And... Um, and I think that uh, my pre-trib buddies, they read into the text tribulation saints who are different from church-age saints. The church didn't believe that uh, 1830s when it started coming into existence. And so I think we just need to face the reality that if we're living in the last days, we will see uh, the Antichrist and the falling away of the church. We will be in the tribulation period. Now, Pastor Pat has a different view. We're going to be putting together a, a little booklet with uh, both of our views, and you can make that decision yourself. But if you find yourself under the persecution of the Antichrist, um, yeah, just letting you know, I forewarned you. And, um, and the church throughout the centuries believed that they would see the wrath of the Antichrist. But if it's the Holy Spirit, if that's the restrainer, that does not mean there's a, I have to mean there's a pre-trib rapture. Uh, as as uh, Paul said, the apostasy, the falling away of the church, and the manifestation of the Antichrist must occur before Jesus returns to gather his followers. So the Holy Spirit uh, can block the Antichrist without, he can stop blocking the Antichrist without the church being removed from the earth, okay? And, um, and so I think that just as, I think right that for throughout the centuries, Satan has wanted to take control of the planet Earth through a man 
who's going to be known as the Antichrist, and I believe that the Holy Spirit has been restrained in him. It's kind of like a uh, the ultimate offensive lineman blocking that defensive end that wants to take you out and you're the quarterback, okay? If that offensive lineman were to move out of the way, because in the Greek it literally says, out of the midst it comes. So out of the midst, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit possibly, out of the midst it comes. He just stops blocking. Um, and, um, and then the Antichrist uh, is revealed. And uh, so verses 6 and 7, and now you know what is restraining. So, so I'm thinking it's the, the uh, Holy Spirit is restraining him, that he may be, that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, I think, who now restrains will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is, is taken out of the way. Okay, what is the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work? Uh, the answer is, um, we don't know for sure. We can speculate. But the mystery of lawlessness <clears throat> is moving in the direction, moving mankind in the direction of evil, whereas God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is setting apart for himself a church, a growing church throughout the world. Okay? <clears throat> and... Uh, so what is this mystery of lawlessness that is moving evil forward, making it more and more evil throughout history? <clears throat> well, look at what John says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. John says this, little children, it is the last hour. <clears throat> so, you know, when people ask me, are we in the last days? Does the Bible teach we're in the last days? Yeah, the Bible teaches that Jesus, God the Son, became a man in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. But if they mean by that, are we the generation that will see the Antichrist? I don't know, but I can't see things getting much worse. I think, you know, I, I turn on a television set to watch the news and I think I'm, I'm watching the mystery of lawlessness unfolding before my eyes. But John says this, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Then he explains who these Antichrists are. They went out from us. They went out from the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. And so what you have are wolves in sheep's clothing, even convincing us that they're believers. And then these Antichrist teachers, eventually they show their true nature and they start proclaiming an anti-Christian message. And so... Part of this mystery of lawlessness is that there have been many antichrists throughout history. I think the Hitlers, the Stalins, the false religious leaders, um, evil people, and you know, they almost always end up hating the Jews. 
and wanting to wipe them off the face of the earth for no reason unless you tie it into the demonic realm. Um, in Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus tells us that lawlessness will increase and man's love will grow cold. Well, I think he's talking about the same thing here. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We've had many false teachers, many antichrists throughout history. We're still waiting for the antichrist. Uh, but as Jesus says in Matthew 24, lawlessness will increase and man's love will grow cold. Um, we don't have time to look at it right now, but in Romans 1, 18 to 32, Paul talks about the fact that we don't see the visible God, but we, uh, the invisible God, but we see the visible work of his hands. So we know that he exists, okay? But man doesn't like that. He's not grateful. He's not thankful for the way God created us in the world. And so we suppress that truth. Then we try to come up with an alternative. We profess to be wise, but we become fools and say, you know, we evolved from monkeys, okay? And, uh, and so then God turns them over. And you'll find that phrase a few times, God turns them over, okay? Uh, God gave them over to their own depraved minds. And he mentions homosexuality and then all kinds of sinfulness and then the final stage in verse 32 is where not only are people doing those things and know they deserve judgment because they're doing it, but they promote it and encourage others to do it, okay? So it's not just, you know, if you have, if, if homosexuality becomes more and more common in a culture, that's bad enough. But when it's promoted as a healthy lifestyle and you have gay pride parades, Your culture barely has a pulse, okay? You don't take pride in your sin. Now, there's a lot of other sins, by the way, besides homosexuality. We take pride in all kinds of sinful behaviors. And um, now we even, even want to mutilate little kids if, um, if we think that a little boy wants to become a, a girl or whatever. And um, we're just falling for the lie. And uh, rather than encouraging boys to grow up to be men and girls to grow up to be ladies and be content with what God created you to be, we've created this horrible, horrible mess. Lawlessness will increase. Man's love grows cold. Many antichrists, many false teachers throughout history. And then when we, when we suppress the truth of the true God, the true creator God, we will go down a path where our lawlessness will increase in our lives, it'll get to the point where Isaiah 5.20 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're living in those days now. The Christians are the bad guys, okay? My sermons get canceled on YouTube. Not some, you know, militant terrorist guy or whatever. I mean, it's amazing. Just because you call sin, sin. Just because the Bible has called it sin for thousands of years, all of a sudden, you get in trouble. You know? What do we do? We just got to tell the state. If the state wants to deify itself, we got to say with Joshua, but it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to witness to you. But let God be true and every man a liar. 
And uh, <clears throat> we got to serve King Jesus. And so this mystery of lawlessness. Now, now, God instituted human government to protect rights, human rights. After the flood, he said, Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. That's why Cain and one of his uh, descendants, Lamech, didn't, didn't get executed for killing somebody. There was no government before the flood. Then God delegates his authority to bring vengeance on the evildoer uh, by instituting capital punishment and human government after the flood. So God instituted human government to protect human rights, but now governments are getting progressively evil and demonic. The end result will be a demon-possessed man ruling the entire world. This is what I call, and we've been in this for quite some time now, and this is part of the, this might be the final stage of the mystery of lawlessness. It's the deification of the state. When a state plays God, believe me, we're going to have, people are calling for it already. They're going to want an AI Bible where AI is going to decide what is truth and what is falsehood. And, um, and uh, look, you know, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? You got to put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. You never deny the one who took your sins on a cross called Calvary. And um, so the mystery of lawlessness is unfolding throughout human history, but the end result will be a demon-possessed man ruling the world, the one ultimate antichrist who will be uh, uh, revealed in his time when out of the midst it comes. Which I think that means that out of the midst, the Holy Spirit's restraining power will stop blocking him, and then he'll be revealed. So what exactly is the mystery of lawlessness? I don't know, but I'm going to give you a list of different ways, different things God has done to restrain evil, okay? And these are not in your notes, and um, I'll maybe try to type it up for next week or something and get them out to you. But here's a different way. Once mankind fell in the garden, what were different ways are different things that God has done to restrain evil, okay? And I think this is, the counter to this is the mystery of lawlessness. God does something to restrain evil, but Satan is doing his work to counter that. So there was the promise of a suffering Savior. Genesis 3.15, God promised that a man would be born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent, would defeat Satan, but he would suffer in the process. So immediately, what's Satan's plan in the mystery of lawlessness? I've got to prevent Messiah from coming, okay? Um, also, when we fell, how did God restrain evil? He prevented us, Adam and Eve, mankind, from having access to the tree of life. God said, I don't want you to live forever and ever and ever in your fallen state. That would be pretty much would be hell, to be honest with you. Okay? And um, so what are we doing now? What is saying through the transhumanism movement? They're trying to create eternal life here on earth for people. Now, their goals are more modest. They're shooting for like between 120 and maybe 150 years of life expectancy. But that's only for the billionaire dictators who want to rule the world. 
The rest of us, we're going to be the worthless humans. Just look at my, the lecture I gave on the arrival of Nietzsche's supermen. And you'll see what's coming down with the plans that, um, that these globalists have for planet Earth. It's not pretty. But, uh, but God promised the suffering Savior, prevented access to the tree of life. Then he also punished certain fallen angels in the abyss. Before the flood, certain angels went way too far. God punished them in the abyss. These are all different things that God is doing to restrain evil, okay? Uh, the global flood. Things got so wicked, so bad, that God only saved Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives uh, through the flood and restarted mankind. Um, another way, another thing that God had done to restrain evil, the global flood. Then, he, then what did he do right after the global flood? He instituted human government to slow things down from getting as wicked as it was, which caused them to flood the earth before. So he instituted human government. He also lessened man's lifespan. I, I believe that when the scholars are split on this, but I believe it wasn't 120 years, man's days will be, now man's heart is set on wickedness and his days will be uh, decreased to 120 years. I don't think that that's talking about 120 years till the flood. I think it's talking about that within a few generations after the flood, man's life expectancy takes that nosedive down to about 120 years. Then by the time of King David, he's saying, guy lives 70 years, 80 years if he's blessed. And we really haven't gone much beyond that. I mean, the average life expectancy of even Americans is in like the mid to late 70s. And, um, um, you know, we invented cures for so many diseases in modern times. Um, but we also invented the Twinkie. So, so it balances out, you know. It might, the government might be adding, you know, with new inventions, they might add 20 years to Phil Fran's life expectancy. But then, um, you know, with ding-dongs and Twinkies, I'm taking that 20 years right back. So, and... Um, that's one of my dad's side of the family. Um, they they lived to be into their mid to late nineties, and so I'm hoping I've got those genetics rather than the Italian side of my family. Um, they die young, but they don't always die of natural causes. But whatever the case, um, uh, so I'm hoping I got my dad's genes. But I got to also remember these guys are born in the 1920s and grew up during the Depression. They weren't. I mean, you just didn't. You just didn't eat a whole lot of Twinkies back then. So, and he certainly couldn't, you know, afford to go to McDonald's every day. So, uh, so God said, you know what? To restrain evil, I'm going to lessen man's lifespan. Uh, he also then, so then after the flood, mankind gathered together. So God said, you know what? I got to divide the people and their languages. By dividing their languages, divide the people into different nations. Why did God do that? He didn't want all the power consolidated. God is opposed to unity when we're still in opposition to God. So God would not be a, a big United Nations fan. 80% of the time when the United States disagreed with the Soviet Union, the United Nations voted with the Soviet Union. That could, 
that the recipe for peace? And um, God wants us united in Christ, not united against Christ. And so God divided mankind in different languages. This is why America's been such a, a melting pot. People from all different nations, geniuses from all different nations got together. And so in 1903, for the first time in known history, we put an heavier-than-air craft into the sky and keep it there for a while. And then 66 years later, we put a man on the moon. And so with all this increase in technology, the Tower of Babel is now being undone. We're talking about transhumanism, uh, human-machine hybrids. It used to be human-animal hybrids was the big deal, but now they're deciding that take man's technology, make human... Uh, human-machine hybrids and all. But God slowed down our technology by dividing us and dividing our languages, okay? By the way, um, if you can learn another language to share Jesus with a different language group, praise God. Because that's what we're about, is building the kingdom of God, not building our own kingdom. Um, then with the different nations, each of these different nations started worshiping false gods. So what did God do to restrain evil there? He selected one man, and from that one man, got his chosen nation, the nation of Israel, and then he ruled over his chosen nation. Okay? So he selected and ruled over his chosen nation. He gave us his moral law. He gave us his written word, the Bible. Um, he gave us predictions of the suffering Savior, the Jewish Messiah. Who would come to restrain evil? God brought down evil empires over and over again. You know, Hitler wanted to, to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Hitler's dead, and four years later, the Jews are back in the land. They owned the promised land. They hadn't owned it since 586 B.C., 2,500 years without owning the land. That's why I think the church wasn't looking for any moment return of Christ. Um, there was no temple. Jesus predicted Peter would have to die first you know, of old age, die as an old man, that is. And uh, the gospel had to be preached to all nations, okay? So certain things have to happen before Jesus could return. And, um, um, but he gave us predictions of the suffering Savior, the Jewish Messiah. He brought down evil empires. <clears throat> and then, praise God, he sent the Jewish Messiah. God the Son become a man. The God who created the heavens and the earth became one of us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sat down with 12 misfits, ate meals with them, Celebrated Jewish feasts with them, taught them, taught 70 other disciples as well. And, um, you know, that's why John could say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God, and everything that created was created was created by him. And he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. God sent the Jewish Messiah. God the Son become a man. You know, did Jesus need to leave heaven? I mean, he was up there being 
being praised and worshipped by thousands upon thousands of angels. But he needed to come to earth because he wanted to save us. And there was no way for God to forgive our sins unless they'd been paid for in full by the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice, the God-man. So that's another way, the thing that God did to restrain evil. He sent the Jewish Messiah. And then when Jesus left the earth, he didn't leave us orphans. He did not leave us orphans. He said, I'm coming back. And in the meantime, uh, I'm going to send the other comforter, the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that's, I've told the story before. My sister Elaine, she was 100% deaf in one ear, 80% deaf in the other ear, and we never knew it. So the nuns at St. Al's in kindergarten and first grade, they thought she was special. And they kept arguing with my dad. They'd come to the house for visits and argue that she's special. And they used to use a really cruel word for it back then. And he'd say, no, she's not. But it's the only time he ever yelled at nuns. And um, but her first day at kindergarten, she thought the whole world hated her except my dad. He was the only one who, who loved her. And so when all the other kids were playing, there was this big porch out of front of the kindergarten class at St. House. My dad, you know, he just... He, Phil's got, Marie's got to go to school. Phil, Mark, their first day, just put them on a bus. But with Elaine, he knew he had to be there, so he calls the boss. I'm going to come in late for work tomorrow, and I'm going to leave early because my daughter Elaine needs me to say goodbye to her and stuff. And so they put it with all the other kids, and all the other kids were playing with each other, but they weren't going to play with my sister Elaine. And uh, they had this, like, railing and looked like prison bars. And she just looked through, and she was crying. And he was saying, he's saying, goodbye, Elaine, but I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back. I'll come back, and uh, I just got to go to work now. I'll come back. It'll be okay. I'll come back at the end of the day. And she told, she told us, this is at my dad's funeral when she told us years later, that she was convinced he wasn't going to come back. And there was the only man who ever loved her. And now he's leaving her too. And so he kept saying, I'll be, I'll, I'll be back, Elaine. And she kept crying and he turned around. I'll be back, Elaine. And he'd walk and she'd keep crying. He said, I'll be back, Elaine. And he she didn't believe him. So he reached into his pocket and he had half a pack of Wrigley Spearmint gum. And he said, Elaine, I love you and I'm going to be back for you. Hold on to my Wrigley Spearman gum for me today. She said the whole day it was in her pocket. She just was gripping it because she felt so little worth back then that she thought that the Wrigley Spearman gum was more, pot, more uh, valuable to my dad than she was. And, um, and so when Jesus left the earth, he told his apostles, you know, I'm coming back. In case you don't believe me, I'm, I'm coming back. In case you don't believe me, here's the Holy Spirit. Metaphorically, here, here's some Wrigley Spearman gum. And, uh, but different ways, different things God has done to restrain evil. Uh, he sent Jesus the Messiah, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. 
God uses good angels to restrain evil angels. We read some of those passages in Revelation. Just read the book of Daniel. He's using good angels all the time to restrain evil angels. Okay? You go out there and share your faith with somebody. You, you witness to somebody and they come to Christ and you think, man, wow, I'm one powerful dude. I'm telling you, it used to be it would take one preacher to lead a village to Christ. Now it takes a whole village to lead one person to Christ. You lead somebody to Christ, I can guarantee you had a grandmother who was on her knees every night praying for him. He had people who shared Christ with him before and stuff. So you're like a, a forward in, in soccer. The other 10 guys on your team, it's their blood, blood, sweat, and tears that got that ball to you so you can get the goal. Don't take the glory for yourself. You needed those other guys. And um, and it's it's the it's it's the same way. And so we we think, man, you know, I led somebody to Christ, or I did this or that. Well, great, praise God. But there were a lot of other people that the Holy Spirit was using, and we're oblivious to the angelic warfare that's going on. Some of us. Satan and his demons don't even want you to get up in the morning. If God would allow it, and God doesn't dispatch holy angels to protect you, some of us, Satan takes us so much as, of, as a threat that if Satan could just suffocate you in the night, he would. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, you have a target on your back right now. I'm getting more and more stories of brothers and sisters in the Lord falling away. Getting involved in this scandal or that scandal. You, this is war. And the mystery of lawlessness is at work. And at this particular time, you, you better worship King Jesus 24-7. Because if, you, if, you're stand, if, you're, if you're not entering the battle and you're just kind of sliming through life, and Satan will just tell the demons, just leave that guy alone. He's no threat. But if you're taking a stand for Jesus, Satan wants to take you down. You've got a target on your back. And, um, um, and so God uses good angels to restrain evil angels. He changes the hearts of believers. You know, if you think I'm a good guy, uh, those are probably the, Anything you like about me, that's probably the changes Jesus made in me. You would, you, if you like the new creation in Christ, Phil Fernandez, you probably wouldn't have liked the old Phil Fernandez. And uh, changes the hearts of believers. And then another thing that God has done to restrain evil is the preaching of the gospel. And um, look, and we'll close with this. Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said, you know, he's saying all these things are going to happen, these false Christs, false prophets, wars, rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, 
earthquakes, diseases, famines. But he says that but this is not the end. And then he says in verse 14 of Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of salvation through Jesus, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay? And we're going to see next week why that has to happen before the Antichrist shows up, the lie, because people have to reject the truth. How could they reject the truth if they haven't heard it? The gospel's been preached to all nations in the way we use the word nations. The way they used it back then, it's all different language groups. So there's hundreds of language groups that haven't been preached yet. The good news is we're on the fast track with computer technology and the 1970s Jesus film and dubbing it in with people's languages. Sometimes the first motion picture tribal peoples will see is the Gospel of Luke in their language, the 1970s Jesus film. And it's not uncommon for 20 to 40% of the people who watch it uh, to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll just close with Romans 11, 25 to 27. There's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in the Middle East right now in Israel. Romans 11, 25 to 27. The day's going to come when all nations, that would include America if she's still around, all nations are going to invade, invade Israel. And then Jesus will come back. But at that point, you know, when that sun's dark and the moon's not giving her light, stars are falling from the sky, powers of the heavens are shaking. And then Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so many of the Jews are going to call on Jesus and say, we were wrong, you're our Messiah. And then Jesus will return. Um, but Revelation, I mean, uh, Romans 11, 25 to 27. For I do not desire, brethren, he's talking to Gentiles now, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, if the Jewish nation was blinded in part, what that means is it wasn't complete. Some Jews of every generation will come to Christ for salvation. Paul is one of them right there, and the apostles. So the blindness was in part because some of the Jews were coming to Christ. So not all were spiritually blind. It happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles was coming. Until means it's temporary. So this idea that the church has replaced Israel and there's no future. Now, if a Jew turns to Christ for salvation, I hope and pray that they recognize that they're one in Christ with their Gentile brothers. And that's what the ecclesia, the assembly, the church is. Um, God doesn't want Gentile Christians to refuse the fellowship with Jewish Christians and doesn't want Jewish Christians to refrain from fellowshipping with, with Gentile ones. But the hardening of the Jewish hearts, the spiritual blindness where they can't, they, they just can't bring themselves to come to Christ, it's partial. So every generation has Jews who are saved. I know several Jews who are saved. Some of them are preachers. Some of them are young Jews. So sometimes the Jews that I witnessed to and was one of many people who helped lead them to Christ. Um, 
but the hardening of the Jewish hearts, their blindness is, in, is partial and it's temporary. In other words, God has a future for the nation of Israel. They're, the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? You know what I think that is? I think that's the full number of Gentiles who are going to get saved in this age, if you want to call it the church age or whatever. Once the last Gentile who's going to get saved gets saved, then verse 26, and that means the gospel's got to be what? Preach to all nations, and then the end will come, what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer, that's King Jesus, will come out of Zion, that's Jerusalem, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, that's the nation of Israel, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay? And, um, um, but, so different ways, the mystery of lawlessness, Satan is trying to fight each of these things, but things God has done to restrain evil, he promised a suffering savior, prevented us access to the tree of life, punished certain angel, fallen angels in the abyss, flooded the entire earth, instituted human government, lessened man's lifespan. Can you imagine how much evil we could do, even a nice guy could do in 950 years? Lessened man's lifespan, divided the people and their languages into different nations so he couldn't have this one world global anti-Christian government. Selected and ruled over his chosen nation, gave us his moral law, gave us his written word, um, gave us predictions of the suffering savior, the Jewish Messiah, so we recognize him when he comes. God brought down evil empires. Finally, he sent the Jewish Messiah, King Jesus. Praise be to God for that. Sent the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower the church. Used good angels to restrain evil angels and change the heart of believers. And then, of course, the preaching of the gospel going to the whole world. Those are things that God has done to restrain evil. The mystery of lawlessness fights all of these things. And that final outcome of the mystery of lawlessness as it unfolds, when the Holy Spirit stops restraining, the end result will be a demon-possessed man ruling the world. We know of him as the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawless one. And the one ultimate Antichrist uh, will be revealed in his time. So I think that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can stop restraining the Antichrist from being revealed um, without removing the church before he's revealed, because that would contradict everything that uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and the earlier portion of chapter 2 says. So what do we do? You know, the problem is complex. The Bible talks about the problem being complex. The solution is simple. The problem is the mystery of lawlessness, and you could probably write thousands of pages on the mystery of lawlessness. The problem is billions of fallen angels and billions of humans who won't bend the knee to King Jesus. The problem is we're calling good evil and evil good. The problems are just over and over and over, and it's just so difficult to, and so complex, we just can't get our heads around it. But the solution, his name is Jesus.
and he is good, but he's not tame, as C.S. Lewis said of Aslan. He is good, but he is not tame. The wannabe dictators of this world and the future Antichrist, they can think Jesus is not that big of a deal and not worry about him. But even though Jesus became one of us, even though he loves us and he died on the cross for our sins, he is still the all-powerful God who created the heavens and the earth. But praise God that God the Son became one of us because he loved us and to provide salvation for us. And uh, to him be the glory. Never deny Christ. Stand firm. That's what Paul's going to finish Second Thessalonians chapter 2 by telling him, stand fast and hold on to the traditions you've been given. Hold on to the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of the Old Testament prophets. Because with Job, we could say, that I know my Redeemer liveth, and at the last, he will take his stand upon the earth.